You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Hey, welcome to Here For It. I'm your host, Erica Muller. Each week, we'll be talking all things life, fashion and beauty, personal development, and probably some pop culture along the way as well. Here For It is your weekly space to get grounded, regroup, and be inspired to live your best life. Because really, we're all figuring it out as we go. And I'm so here for it. Hi guys, welcome back to Here For It. My name is Erica Muller. I am so happy to have you here. And if you're new around here, welcome. I'm so happy to be back in the swing of things after taking a quick two-week mid-season break. And I'm also really happy to introduce you guys to um, a mentor turned friend of mine, Joe Town. Uh, Joe is the CEO and co-founder of the Performers Mindset, where he helps performers of all types, actors, professional athletes, executives, uh, and he helps them prepare to show up at their best. I was introduced to Joe years and years ago after hearing him as a guest on a podcast. I was super intrigued by the stuff he was saying, and so I sent him an email, and it truly was like divine timing he responded and was like, Hey, you know, thanks so much. We actually are starting this program next weekend. There's a boot camp workshop, three day event. Come join. And I did. And so I'm really thrilled, you know, to have him on the podcast today. And the stuff that he does, I find so incredible. At the time when I met him, no one was incorporating mindset work into audition coaching. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know how big I am on mindset and reading things and self-help books. And I just am always craving new information and new um, like tools and ways of doing things. And I'm so curious as to how other people think and do things. And the stuff that I've learned from Joe, obviously I went to him for audition coaching, but truly the things that I've learned from him through his mindset work and approach to mindset, um, I use daily. And that's, I mean, truly incredible. I can't say enough good things about Joe, truly. Um, He is also an actor and he's worked with Jennifer Love Hewitt, Hilary Swank, Rebel Wilson, and he's also worked as an audition and acting coach at one of the top private acting studios in Hollywood, where he co-created their audition technique program. We talked about so much in this episode. Every time I talk to Joe, I'm just so intrigued and engulfed in everything that he says. I was truly having a hard time ending the conversation because I just wanted to keep talking. So there's a lot of information in here, but he's so good at explaining things in ways that are so digestible and so understandable. We talked about preparation and the difference between prep and transitions, what that looks like, what that means. We talk about flow state. He's so well-versed in flow state and why that's something we might want to think about tapping into or how can we utilize it. He talks about how we can prepare for unpredictable moments because Surprisingly, we can. Uh, We talked about understanding your inner critic, training mindset skills and what that even means. We talk about why curiosity is truly a superpower, how to be brutally honest with yourself about where your mindset is at. 
There's just so many good nuggets in this episode and I walked away from this conversation feeling like reignited, re-inspired, and so I know that you will too, and I'm so happy to be able to introduce you guys to Joe. So without further ado, let's jump into that conversation. The Instagram bio for Performers Mindset says, we game change how to frame up and prepare for life's biggest moments. If one part is out of balance, it affects the whole. What does preparation mean to you? Oh my God, such a good question. Um, Preparation to me is a stage in the journey towards performance. And I think that um, all of us are performers to one degree or another. You know, we might have to tell a story standing up in front of a group of people, it might be around our dining table, it might be an uncomfortable conversation we have to have with our loved ones. Um, it could be that we have to get up the nerve to get on an airplane after being home for a long period of time or coming out to our parents. So performance to us does not just mean being an actor mm-hmm. or being an athlete or being an executive. It's people that have these moments that they have to get ready for and switched on for. And so in the journey to that, there's a period of prep. The challenge that I find is that some people have uh, a preparation where that feels like on some level they're winging it. For some people, it feels like they've accumulated a lot of different um, ways of practicing over time, but they haven't synergized it. So Mm -hmm. it feels a little piecemeal or hodgepodge. For some people, maybe they fell out of love with the way that they were doing it. They worked for a while and now it's just not bringing them joy. And I think for me, my biggest challenge around prep was I was prepping all the way through the doorway into the room. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to stop. And it was being driven by this idea of not enough, not enough prep, not enough time. Mm -hmm. And so that experience played out in the room and then played out afterwards in a way that was really not serving me. And it took me a really long time. I'm a stubborn Taurus. So it took me a really long time to figure it out. And when I realized that this was a stage, I was able to look at it similar to the four seasons through the lens of the four stages of flow and flow state. And then all of a sudden something clicked and I was like, oh, we've been missing important ingredients. It's like trying to make brownies, but not putting in the thing that makes it rise. So you just get Flat chocolate. I don't know. <laughs> flat chocolate. <laughs> you know, when you yeah. set out to make brownies and you end up with flat chocolate. Yeah. It's happened to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Did you prepare for this interview? Um, so there's something being hinted at here, which um, is that there's, there's a, a transition stage between the prep and the actual performance itself. Mm-hmm. So... For me, the preparation was in regards to our connection and and knowing who you are and connecting to that, Mm -hmm. um, connecting to the content you've been able to put out and being able to take glimpses or listen to pieces and read things. Um, But there isn't really, you know, in, in our case, there wasn't a list of specific questions that I was contemplating, I know we were going to just go on this journey together. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, it's almost like more improvisation. Mm. That said, there's a inner warming up or an inner transition that felt really important. 
Okay. And because my morning was stacked, that uh, looked very interesting. It was a little bit different than getting half an hour of silence or, you know, life on the go. Most of us in this modern age are life on the go. But if we don't pause at all before we go into a moment like this, it can all feel like a blur. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I think a lot of people, you know, would say, well, most of life and most of life's biggest moments are kind of unpredictable. So how mm-hmm. can you prepare for that? Well, it seems like in that case, we're preparing for two things. We're preparing for the unknown, which you're right. How do you prepare for the unknown? Yeah. And how do we prepare to be flexible? Mm. So it's not a buzzword, but a flexibility mindset, the ability to play jazz in life's moments, the ability to read and react, the ability to flow with what's happening only comes if we prepare and practice in a way where we're embodying flexibility and resiliency and building in the opportunity to not just do it one way, ideally in perfect conditions. Mm. Right. Because preparation in terms of acting, you know, it is a perfect condition. Mostly, you know, you're Mm. walking into a room, things are different now with self tapes and whatever, but, uh, you walk into a room, you know, there's going to be somebody there. You're going to be on tape. It's a controlled environment versus Mm. how do you prepare for, I know you, you use a lot of, um, sports analogies, Mm. which I love. Um, but how do you like for an athlete, you can't, pre- you can't, you can prepare for a game, but you can't prepare for what's going to happen in a game, you know? So it's kind of, but you know, um, I was working with a golfer recently and, you know, there was a thing that was happening for him where he would put so much pressure on the first shot. He's like, if the first shot goes well, I know X, Y, and Z will happen. But if it doesn't, then all of a sudden the head noise kicks in and then mm-hmm. I start spiraling and then it leads to another stage and it goes on and on from there. And so part of the practice was um, hit the first ball uh, poorly on purpose, hit it out of bounds, shank it, you know, go through one practice day where you purposefully hit it poorly and then practice. How do you recover from that? How do you come back from that? How do you practice? What do I do next? Because if you've been in all those different conditions, then if it happens in the world, in life, in the flow of a game, it's just Tuesday. You just do the thing that you know to do. But if you've never been there before, it adds this extra pressure. Like I've never been in this situation before. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the ways that preparation can help with nerves and head noise and getting us ready. It was really borrowed from listening to Yo-Yo Ma, you know, this incredible um, cellist, this world-renowned cellist who sometimes will start on the wrong note and then practice bouncing back. How do I play the rest of the song? The string breaks, you know, something like that happens. Yeah. And so I think we can practice being off balance and then recovering. And I think that's what trains resiliency. I would agree 100%. One of the things I remember from your class um, is sometimes if you were the reader or whoever our reader was, um, you'd have somebody say a line wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not to be mean, like not to be cruel, I should say. Um, but because that's happened in professional settings where Mm -hmm. they're like, Hey, this is the first time I'm reading this today. And they say the line wrong. And I'm like, dude, 
I practiced for this. I prepped yeah. for this. When you, you're the casting director, you're saying the line wrong. I had no patience as a young 20 something artist for that. And I think that how do we adjust when those things happen and how do we practice seeing what our mind does mm-hmm. when a little wrinkle comes along? That's something yeah. we practice a lot at mindset. Yeah. Which, uh, I think translates not just in acting, not just in athletics, but I think in, in life, in mm-hmm. people's normal jobs, you go into a meeting thinking one thing's going to happen and something else happens and you're thrown off. You have to give a presentation and suddenly half of your slides are missing from the deck, but you got to keep going, yes. you know? Yes. How do you handle those things? Yeah. I also, yesterday I was listening to a video with Tim Ferriss and he was talking, uh, he was interviewing somebody about our experience of time. And, you know, they were saying that if you want time to feel slower, you know, have new experiences, go create these new experiences. It's why at the end of a long summer, it might feel like, oh my God, that feels like years Mm. if you have all these new amazing experiences. Whereas if you go through the summer and you do the same old, same old, you're like, oh, it's like a blur. It just all flew by. And so part of it is because we can't recall details. And so he summed it up by saying, so does that mean that if we want to have a deeper experience to having more time, that it's really about novelty? And the person nodded their head. And I thought, well, that's part of why we want to train in different conditions, because then our ability to recall details, and when we are able to manipulate time like that or experience time differently, that's what allows us to drop into flow. That's pretty fascinating, but it makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Because you think about, uh, there's like that saying a lot of people say, and I think they say it in reference to being a parent. And maybe you can relate to this because you are a parent and I'm not. But there is a saying of the days are long and the years are short. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of those days where it's been a long day and it's, you know, in this case, I have my son is like pushing bedtime and I'm like, oh, I just want to put my feet up and relax a little bit. Um, those days can feel long. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm like, how is he six? <laughs> yeah. So that was one of the more, I think there were two moments in my life where time seemed to bifurcate. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm experiencing time differently. And that was definitely one of them, the yeah. moment he was born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty interesting, but I think it's cool that we can sort of manipulate time by mm-hmm. choosing how we want to experience our lives. Right. Yeah. I love yeah. that too. Yeah. Okay. So how does someone determine what they need to do in order to prepare? They're like, okay, life has big moments. I want to feel more prepared in life. What the heck do I do? Mm. Well, could we get specific about what type of preparation we're talking about? Uh, in this case, are we talking about a chef? Are mm. we talking about a boardroom presentation? So notice that I'm getting one degree more specific. Yeah. But I think that right there is part of how I prepare, is trying to understand the landscape of what what is expected of me. Mm. What is it that is my current experience of this type of experience, of this type of performance? Have Is it brand new? So for example, um, I was working with a um, an MMA fighter who'd spent a lot of time in the octagon. And, you know, um, in that case, she was really familiar with actual fighting, Yeah, um, had trained 
you know, with Olympians, had performed most of her life, and now was founding herself, you know, to be an ensemble lead in a feature film. And so part of it was there was this noise around, I'm familiar with this, I'm not familiar with this, I can do this, I don't know if I can do that. And so what we had to do is build a parallel and say, well, what is your experience doing the thing you know how to do well? Mm. Like, do you plan the whole thing or is it something where you can plan the first piece of it and the rest you sort of read and react? And then something clicked for her. All of a sudden she's like, yeah, that I can't plan the whole fight. Like I, I plan the first moment and then the rest is discovered. I was like, what if that's all that's being asked of you in the scene? You come in with a clear, you know, head esteem or energy or thought or something that is where your character thinks they're going to go. And then what if you discover the journey? Like what is, does that take any pressure off it? All of a sudden it was like, oh, I'm not being asked to do anything other than I already know how to do. So that's the prep part. But then what we've also talking about is what are the other pieces we need to prep? might need to prep this resiliency, the being off balance, the troubleshooting, you know? And is that just putting yourself in different situations and being mindful of, oh, this worked for me. This didn't work for me. Okay. Let's adjust here. Let's adjust there. Yes. Um, It is putting yourself into different conditions and then taking time afterwards to reflect and extract some kind of learning from the experience. So those to me are the key. What did I set out to do? How did it go? What did I learn? What did I enjoy? What did I love? What's working? You know, we we tend to jump right on the critical part of our brain. And mm-hmm. We go right for all the things that got screwed up or that weren't perfect or where the mistakes happened. Mm-hmm. And so developing a healthy process before and after with being intentional, figuring out how we want to transition and get warmed up for the performance, and then reflecting after these are the missing ingredients Mm that I see all the time. Those two things are not trained at schools. They're not trained in classes. They're up to us to build those in. So I don't see those as prep. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, outside of preparing for this job interview, this performance, this audition, this, you know, um, class, there's all these new invitations to do mental skills training. And so part of mental skills training is, can I get present? Can I be confident? Can I talk to myself in a certain way that allows me to be confident going through the doorway? Can I be where my feet are? Can I, um, you know, rebound and when things start going off the rails, um, what are my opportunities to block out noise and focus on the signal? So these things are much more important to me than preparing more. I think Mm. that like I was sharing earlier, I was under the delusion that if I just prepared more, that would take care of everything. Mm -hmm. And what I found is it's this other stuff that really makes the work show up in its richness and fullness and allows me to be present for it. I love that. Okay. So then how do you approach mental skills? Mm. What does that mean? Can you expand on that? Yeah. Well, um, there's different categories perhaps. So, you know, I think it really doesn't matter what you call um, mindfulness training. If you want to call it meditation, you can, for some people um, there's a stigma attached to it. So in the athletic world, it can feel soft. You know, being mindful is different than meditating. I don't meditate. And for other people, it's like, well, I've tried it and doesn't work for me. 
because their idea of what meditation is, is rooted in either something complicated, something that is being looked at through the lens of perfectionism, or it's not something that they've experienced really simply and beautifully yet. Mm -hmm. So one piece of it is, can I get present? So I can get present by um, taking in my environment. I can get present by really you know, doing this thing, five, four, three, two, one, right? What are five things that I can see? What are four things that I can hear? What are three things I can feel? What are two things I can smell? What's one thing I can, I can taste. And so this is used to help calm anxiety. So we can go through five, four, three, two, one. We can also do a breath practice, you know, whether it's rooted in ancient yogic pranayama or whether it's something that has now been reinterpreted for the Navy SEALs, we all know that breath matters. So if you're trying to tolerate discomfort and cold temperatures, maybe you're doing Wim Hof breathing, or maybe you're um, listening to Dr. Andrew Weil and doing four, seven, eight breath. Um, whatever your breath practice, it's designed to get us present. And if we're breathing, we're present. So mental skills training has to do a little bit there and then it's just sort of allowing those thoughts to be there. So I think if we're waiting until the performance itself to try and block out the head noise or wish it was different, it's already too late. Mm. It's already too late for that day. People are really interested in the hack. Like, what do I do when this happens in the moment? Well, start an hour earlier is yeah. probably more of the answer. Yeah. And so with all of that, is it kind of, do you find with uh, your clients, like a little bit of trial and error, like what works for you might not work for somebody else. And maybe they need a lot yeah. of breathing exercises and maybe somebody just uses meditation. Mm -hmm. A thousand percent. Okay. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of people telling me something by rote. I feel like that's, you know, an online course or a book. I can follow a set fixed order. And I don't really need somebody for that, mm -hmm. you know, other than answer a few detailed questions. But um, when I work together with someone, I have to learn that person. I have to learn the learner and yeah. figure out, well, okay, how's it going? How's it going for you? How's it going for you today? Um, and the more that we can meet each other there in that relationship, I think the better that we can experiment. Mm-hmm the more we can um, use sound practices and then adjust. So there's an element of trial and error in the sense that play, the energy of not being fixed and set in a routine matters. Mm -hmm. And and I see that through the lens of play. Do you, are you against routine then? Or you implement mm. it um, as needed? Great question. I, I'm... It, I'm not against anything that works. So uh, what I usually say to someone is, if it's not broken, don't break it. So um, I'm not going to tell somebody to not do something if it's truly working for them. Mm -hmm. Now, if it feels like it's a win-lose, it's working on one hand, but it's actually creating another challenge like perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Perfectionism is a great example where it's really motivating because the person who's being the perfectionist really cares about what they're doing, but they may not like themselves very much. They may be really hard on themselves. They may burn out. So there's like this win and lose. Now, routines and structures are really important 
So for me, I actually really like to have a sense of a framework. And then I like to have options within the framework. Mm. Now, when I'm first working with somebody, I don't want to give them a menu that looks like Jerry's famous deli, where there's a thousand options because then people can be in paralysis. And then it's like, well, I don't know what to choose. So maybe we look at what they are doing and we talk about how that is working. Then maybe we, we introduce a new idea. If it's helpful, we might create a whole new practice structure. It's like an athlete getting a new swing. Um, you know, an artist may just need to shake things up. And so maybe we go through a different format. Um, but the routine means I don't have to be stuck there. I have to be aware of what my I need in this moment. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the moment of performance, if there's a light dangling and it looks like it's going to hurt somebody, I need to be aware of that and adjust. In the same way, if my practice routine isn't working, then I need to be able to adjust and give myself what I do need. So it's not about constantly doing the same thing, but mm-hmm. it might be about doing the same principles of things. Okay. I love that. Cause then it kind of gives you a toolbox of like, okay, I'm in this situation and I have all these things and like, I don't need a hammer right now, but I definitely need that wrench. And yeah. like, thank God it's totally. in there. Totally. Yeah. yeah. If, if all I've brought with me is my hammer, there are very skilled people with hammers that probably have figured out a lot of ways to use them. But I think to your point, like sometimes it's really helpful to have developed the wrench. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say, you know, I've learned over the years. I mean, I think I've known you for five or six years now. Yeah. And so I've learned a lot from you over the years and all in relation to acting. Right. Mm. But I would say 95% of the things that I've learned from you are things that I implement in and out. Like some days I need that hammer. Some days I need that wrench, uh, just in my daily life. And I think that's what is so fascinating to me about this work that it's like, it can be applied to so many different situations and just having it there to rely on you're good. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And yes, I know we've known each other in in the space of that type of performance. I think as as we've explored and as you know and have implemented, it's the daily practice habits that matter. Yeah. So that really falls under our everyday mindset. Yeah. You know, this idea of how we do small is how we do all. So how yeah. we do our morning routine on a normal day is going to impact how we do it when the pressure gets dialed up one notch. Or if we try to treat a normal day different from a big moment, because then all of a sudden, are we amplifying the amount of pressure? Are we trying to do things differently? Are we setting ourselves up to struggle more? Mm. Yeah. I love that because I guess, I guess for myself, I would consider my morning routine preparation for my day. Mm -hmm. Is that how you look at it? Is that, is that considered preparation? So I'm going to be really semantical here. And what I mean by that is like, I think that I know how to make breakfast. I think I know how to prep my smoothie. I've prepared to do the actions prior to the day I woke up. Yeah. But the way I see my morning and my evening routines are transitions. How do I transition between Mm. deep rest and being present and being fully switched on for what comes first. Oh, I love that. And so I I really like to look at the beginning and end of the day as practices for the waiting room, 
or the car ride home, mm-hmm. you know, or backstage or the after party. Mm-hmm. So if I can look at those as transitions, I don't, I don't need to be preparing anymore. I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to keep going and try to run over my lines and my script and go, am I ready for today? It doesn't mean that I don't have a part of my process in the morning where I'm not looking at the course of my day. I'm just, I'm, you know, I I tend to look at things the night before and map it out. And then on the day, I tend to look at it and feel my way through it. Does this feel right? Or am I really tired? Do I need to work out sooner? Um, have I gotten an email saying that something's canceled? Plans change. Yeah. So how do I adjust? And yeah, I love I love the distinction between is that prep or is that a transition? Yeah. No, it makes so much sense that you it's considered more of a transition than prep. Um, I can understand that. You mentioned flow state earlier. And I know flow is something that you are very well versed in. Can you explain flow state to anyone who, uh, you know, has maybe heard the term, but isn't super familiar with what it is? Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that all of us have experienced it in one way, shape or form, even if we didn't know that's what it was called. It's this sense of losing track of time and space getting deeply immersed in what we're doing. So it could be that, you know, we're six and we're playing with Legos and we're lost in an imaginary world. And then all of a sudden it's like time for dinner. It could be that we are at a concert and just so moved by what's happening or singing at the top of our lungs. It could be from dancing. It could be from a beautiful meal. It could be from a run, you know, this idea of runner's high Mm -hmm. um, in different practices like Sufism, you know, they they twirl and twirl and twirl to get in this ecstatic state. So there's so many ways around the world that we can enter flow state. And Mihai Csikszentmihalyi wrote the book on flow. Um, and I think that helped us understand what is happening, why it's so addicting, um, why we tend to chase it once we've experienced it. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the work of Stephen Cutler and, and some of the other people with the Flow Genome Project and Flow Science have even deepened our relationship to understanding. And flow is the most powerful state a human can perform in. Mm. It allows us to bring all of our best selves forward. And it has a finite amount of time that we can be in that state before it ends. 90 minutes approximately is the max that we can be in flow before we need to recharge, reset, um, before we can flow again. And it's kind of like how we just can't stay up forever. Yeah. Right. We just, we need to rest. Yeah. And then we can flow into another day. So yeah, there's, there's a lot more, uh, so the structure and the science of it, but uh, I, I just, I want it to feel like something that people can relate to. Mm-hmm. Because on some level, they're, they've already been experiencing, even if they just call it being in the zone or being in the pocket. Or, yeah. Or why, date. why would we want to access flow? Mm. Well, um, it allows us to have better recall and focus. It allows us to be fully present and pay attention to details. Mm. Um, it allows us to feel good. So there's... There's this like collection of five hormones that are happening at the same time. And if this cocktail is super powerful. And so 
you know, if we want to be at our best, we may, we can't force flow to happen, but we can put ourselves in the conditions where it might be possible. Okay. So we want to reduce the noise and then we want to put ourselves into those pr- daily practice habits that allow us to have the mental skills training to be fully present and block out noise and, and, and trust, you know, going with the flow. Mm-hmm. Is this something that I know it's related a lot or you hear it a lot in terms of performance flow state mm-hmm. for performance, but is it something that, you know, we want to try to strive for daily? Is it like mm-hmm. as needed? How do we approach like implement? I, I say implementing because you say we all experience it all the time and we do. And I think sometimes you experience it and you're not aware that that's what's happening, but is it something we should be more mindful about? Mm. There's a couple words in there that I love that we're talking about. And one of them is should. Mm. So I, um, I'm really wary of telling people what they ought to do. Okay. Um, I think that it's not that people experience flow all the time. It's that I believe all of us have experienced flow before. So it could have been one time that we dropped into flow and we've been chasing this great white whale ever since. Um, but I think if we can align our thoughts, words, and actions around a structure where flow is possible today, then it's more likely it'll happen when there are stakes. So I think it really depends on, do you value being at your best? Mm. Do you value doing everything possible that's within your control? Um, do you want to be um, practicing today for the things that are coming tomorrow. How good do you want to be? And, you know, I, I think that so many times I'll say, how many of you want to get better at the beginning of a class? Everybody raises their hand. And then um, I invite people up to try to do something and all the hands go down. Mm-hmm. And so I get really curious um, sometimes why? why, what changed from five seconds ago? We said we wanted to get better. And yeah. here's this opportunity and invitation. So why? Why are we not backing it up with our actions? And I think it's because a lot of us want to look good to ourselves. We really want to like think highly of ourselves. Of course, I want to get better. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with um, you know some of the, the layers of things you and I have talked about before around growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Yeah. And so if we're in this proving energy, we're coming from a more fixed mindset place. And if we want to get better truly, then we're coming from a more growth mindset place. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we are growth or we are fixed. We're coming from that place. There might be days I just want the chicken parm from the place that I know it's going to be amazing. Yeah. That's a fixed mindset. It's comfort food. It's food memory. I want to recreate it. Now it might be lousy. You know, maybe I'll be disappointed because now I'm comparing it. But I, I just want to make sure that as we introduce concepts, people aren't labeling themselves or yeah. um, shaming themselves. Like, oh no, I'm definitely more fixed, and I'm not. I'm not growth. Or yeah, yeah, I'm definitely growth, but I say that, but I'm not actually doing it. Mm. That's so interesting. Um, I don't know if I would have correlated the um, growth versus fixed in terms of raising my hand to come up and practice. For me, mm-hmm. the word that came to my mind was it's vulnerable. It's vul- I feel vulnerable yeah. suddenly stepping down there. But you're right. Yeah. You have to get vulnerable 
vulnerability is a part of growth. Well, yeah, I, 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 to me, it links to this idea of like, well, what do we view as collectively? What do we view as a failure? Mm. Like where, where does failure impact how we do things differently next time? And I think there's a really big debate, you know, like a lot of people think they failed if they didn't hit their mark. They failed if they made a mistake. They failed if they came up short. Okay. So what are you, you're measuring outcome as the thing that determines failure. Whereas I would say, what if failure is just about, I didn't really go for it. I didn't give it my all. Mm. I wasn't willing to trust. Um, I didn't lay it all out there. Um, and, and even if I did, and there were mistakes, you know, as somebody, I, I, I love human relationships where somebody fumbles over a word and they're super endearing. I don't care. They fumbled a word. That's what people do. So anytime we get into this idea of perfectionism, we're really setting ourselves up to fall short of these sometimes unconscious standards. Whereas when we're trying to be excellent, you know, the idea is like, do your best and you're probably in going for it. Can be working at your edge. If you're working at your edge, you're probably going to make a mistake. If you make a mistake, that's excellent because you're going to learn something. And if you learn something that you can grow, mm-hmm. but if you don't go through that journey and you just keep proving how great you are, I mean, that's awesome. Maybe feels good. Like a dopamine hit, but you're not necessarily getting better. Yeah. I love that. It makes me, uh, all of this work that you do, the word that always comes to my mind is curious and like curiosity. Mm. Like it makes me very curious of how do I view growth mindset? How do I feel whatever I think about, you know, whatever, like, I think sometimes we hear a word and we don't, we don't think like, well, what does that really mean? Uh-huh. And I, I love that. Yeah. Tell me I, more. I, I just, I think it's so important because I think, um, like what I was saying earlier, like, I think that my morning routine is preparation and you're like, uh, but is it, it's, it could be a transition, but I never got curious about it. I was just like, yeah, it's prep. Well, and what I love is that you started this and have these conversations because you are curious yeah. because you want to engage and see things in a new way and share that with others. And you could have said, I think that my morning routine is prep. And I could have said, well, here's how I see it. You could have gone, no, it's prep. Like that could have been your experience too. It would have been a totally different podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I, I love the idea of be curious you know, um, that what is the, I don't, I don't really know if it's Walt Whitman or if it's, uh, you know, in Ted Lasso, they, uh, attribute, be curious, not judgmental to somebody famous, Abraham Lincoln, the internet. Um, but be curious, not judgmental. It's like curiosity really is a superpower. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's pretty interesting to think of how, uh, different things can be. If you just ask a question about it, Mm. it opens up a whole new world. I think it potentially can open up a whole new world. And I imagine we can apply that right back towards ourselves, right? We can, we can get curious with ourselves. Like, Hey, why do you keep driving down the same street every day? Why do you just keep drinking your coffee that way? Yeah. You know, like why do you just live with that ache? 
it's like we get onto autopilot. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Yeah. I definitely feel like there are moments where I kind of, my, my focus narrows and my awareness is not on the periphery of my life. I'm just focused on the thing in front of me. And then I'm like, well, how did I get here? And there are periods in my life where I've taken the, the blinders off and I've really had to look at everything around. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to go through that phase. Like sometimes you just need to get through a day, or get through a week or get through a month or get yeah. through a, a pandemic. But then at a certain point, it's like, okay, what now? What about our life do we want to get curious about? And it can be scary. I think it can be scary. Like, what if I look in there and I don't like what I see? What if I need to make a big change? You know? Yeah. Uh. Scary. I know. But I think the other thing too, that's a good reminder is when you do those things and you're not constantly uh, striving for perfection, which can be hard. I've gotten caught in that loop before, but it's like, I'm not a robot. I am a human. Mm-hmm. And we all have flaws some way or another. How do we like deal with them? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I like about curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause if there's a gentleness to the thing you're naming as a flaw, that feels so much different than like being more hard on yourself, even though that thing is true. Yeah. And, you know, we all probably have seen parents or coaches or, you know, I always envision like an old school football coach with a stogie and a specific <laughs> kind of hat, just being really tough on someone. And I think that that had a time and a place and and maybe we need that voice inside our head, but we may also need um, a different kind of muse, you know, an encourager. We may need someone who will just tell it to us straight. Um, so I don't, I'm, I hope this doesn't sound too strange to your listeners, but I think that there are different textures to the inner self-talk that we hear. And I don't mean we all have voices in our head and, you know, what does that mean? Um, What I mean is like we all have um, integrated the people that were around us into our inner dialogue. And sometimes it's different when we're feeling pressure or stressed or angry at ourselves or uh, disappointed. So I think curiosity is one of those things that can interrupt some of the other voices that are really just trying to protect us. Yeah. I love that. It's like, you do have that team there, you you know, like the Mm -hmm. tough guy, the soft one, like the little devil angel, you know, like they're all there and they all Mm -hmm. play their role, but sometimes it's like, which one do I need right now? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And sometimes I like to make a date with them. You know, I'm in the middle of a performance and somebody's really loud in my ear. And I I say, listen, I hear you. I need to do this at this moment. But I, I want to let you know, not only do I hear you, but what you have to say matters. I just mm-hmm. can't talk to you about it right now. Yeah. And so part of the pact that I've made with that inner voice allows it to subside. And, and then I have to back up my word. And later, whether it be later that day or that night or soon, hey, I really do want to hear what you had to say. Yeah. In the same way that if I'm trying to operate a machinery and you know, my son's trying to have a conversation with me. I might say, hey, I just need a second. I'm trying to merge onto the highway. Yeah. So we can direct the voices in our head. We can train the voices in our head and we can rewrite our self-talk. I love that. And speaking of criticism, 
because I think that's kind of involved in, in this. Um, and you mentioned this earlier, and I know you're big on post-performance where it is, you take that time to sit down and review the flaws, the criticism, those voices. Um, what made you recognize that that was important? Well, I think it goes back to the, the first principles of growth. And to me, growth only is possible through a combination of two forces, support and challenge. I've been in environments where I just get criticized. Doesn't feel great. I don't feel like I'm necessarily at my best for long. I've been in environments where I've just been loved on and complimented. Uh, neither of them got me where I wanted to go on their own. Mm. So it's a combination of the two forces that really matter. And so that is the essence of the framework of what do I want to do with the limited time I have in between waves mm -hmm. or after I'm done. And then there's maybe like a, a deeper dive process that I can do in the weeks and months afterwards to kind of go, okay, well, what do I need to be training differently for next season, next year? Mm -hmm. That's different than the audition that day or the take that day. Mm -hmm. So I think first it starts with first principles, then it starts with wanting to grow and realizing like, oh, I really hear the voice in my head very loud, the critical one. And I remember having this amazing teacher in New York who after a scene said to a student, you know, what did you love best about what you just did? Mm. And it was as if the student didn't even hear her. They said, oh, well, I mean, I forgot my lines. So she said, no, no, no. What did you love best about what you just did? And the student might be like, well, started out well. And then they couldn't, for, I couldn't remember my lines. And she's like, no, what did you love best about what you just did? And they would say it was fun. She would go, it's fun. So it's really hard for some people to hear that invitation. It's really hard for people to scan for the good. So when we talk about mental skills training, if we want to have grit, if we want to have resiliency, if we want to have passion and perseverance over time, we need to be optimistic about our habits leading us down a direction where things are getting better. And so part of that comes from scanning for the good. There's incredible, incredible stories about these old men who you know went through a brief psychological evaluation and they were told that they were registering as low-level pessimists, grumpy old men. <laughs> and so they were invited by this Harvard psychologist to do this very simple routine, two minutes, three minutes a day. There's a few different ways it could go. They did it for 21 days, three weeks. Well, those same men registered as low-level optimists after only three weeks and it lasted for six months. And so this shows us that our behavior matters. Yeah, This shows us that it doesn't take very much. And that if we want to get better, we might need to start training things like our ability to scan for the good, mm -hmm. because otherwise we are torturing ourselves in an effort to be perfect. Why do you think it comes so much more naturally to scan for the bad? Well, I think biologically, it it's like the the part of our brain that helped us stay alive. Mm. You know, there's the the three different kinds of brains. So the reptilian brain and the the part of us that scans for threat really hardwired us for survival. And so it's not until the development and the awareness of the prefrontal cortex that allows us to have higher reasoning or a different way of being in the world. 
Mm. And so we're all hardwired. We have this freeway to the negative and this dirt road to the positive. And so it takes application of effort. It takes developing that skill. And so if anybody's like, oh, I'm just not wired that way, you might not be, but it doesn't mean you can't be. Um, oh, well, it doesn't work for me. Well, I don't know. I, I wonder if you uh, spent one day doing it for a long time because you heard how great it could be. And then the next day you forgot and then you gave up, you know, um, it doesn't mean that some people aren't wired to be harder on themselves. Um, to me, that means we even more need to care and balance it with curiosity and um, some kind of scanning for the good just to counterbalance it. Do you remember uh, one year you gave us an assignment to create a happiness jar. Mm. Yeah. 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 Do you want to share what that was? Yeah. So, uh, it was at the beginning of a new year. I think it was in January. Um, and I think it was just to do it for the 12 weeks that our, our class was. And the assignment was we created a happiness jar and we could decorate it. However, made us feel good when you looked at it. And every day you were supposed to write down on like a sticky note or a little piece of paper at the end of the day, what the happiest part of your day was. Mm. And, um, I remember doing it and I was like, oh, this will be cute and fun. And then I think, uh, I don't know. It wasn't that long into it, maybe a couple weeks, uh, where I'd started getting into the routine of it every night, writing down the, my little happy moment from the day. But what started to happen was during the day. I would start recognizing moments that I was having happiness. And I'd be like, mm. is this going to be what I write down tonight? And then something mm. else would happen. I'd be like, wait, is this going to be what I write down tonight? And it's like, yeah. I started suddenly being so aware of all of these really good moments in my day. Whereas before, it's so easy to get stuck and I'm anxious. I have so much to do. There's stress, there's that. But I was like, where's the happiness? Where's the happiness? Mm -hmm. Where's mm -hmm. the happiness? I love that so much. And I think those personal examples mean a lot. And, you know, it, it's that principle, right? Of We get a certain kind of car and we recognize them on the road. Yeah. So whether you're practicing gratitude or practicing happiness, whatever it is you're practicing, you're going to recognize when those moments are showing up or you're experiencing them. And we can build that muscle just the same way we build physical muscles. Yeah. I love that. It's so fascinating to me. I could talk to you for like six years and still not know oh all go. the things. <laughs> yeah, that's kind. Um, but I want to end on something for listeners who I think most everybody who's listening to this episode is probably interested in mindset and isn't new to it. But if somebody is and they're like, I've never considered a mindset practice, I don't know how to meditate and feels maybe a little overwhelmed by the process because it can seem daunting. There's a lot of information. What would you suggest as a good starting place? Mm. I love it. I mean, I try to keep things really simple. Like here's something you can read in five minutes or less. Mm. There's great articles and growth mindset. If you want to hear somebody speak about it, then obviously there are podcasts you can listen to if you want to watch a TED Talk um, or if you want to read a full book. I think people have to know themselves and know what can fit into their routines. Mm -hmm. But I think we can't make a change unless we start with awareness. Mm. And so one of the most profound things that happened to me was becoming aware of my thoughts 
by five minutes of writing every day, five minutes of writing. So whether I use a yellow line pad, whether I type it out, um, the idea is just write without stopping. We're not trying to do punctuation. We're not trying to send it. It's just for us. But it's like, you know, you live in a big city. Um, I lived in a big city uh, back east. And, and you know, sometimes I'd turn on the water and the orange water, you know, turn yes. on the faucet and the orange water would come out for a little yes. bit and then it would get clear. I kind of feel like that with my thoughts in the morning or at night. I actually started doing it at night first. I know a lot of people do these morning pages and I was doing them in, at night because I noticed I couldn't shut off my thoughts at night. I didn't want to forget things. Yeah. So I started keeping like a pad and pen near my bedside and then like I'd just be falling asleep and I'd be, oh, write that down. And so I was like, well, I wonder what happens if I spend time in the hour before I go to bed actually just writing out all my thoughts. And what I noticed is I captured a lot more. My brain trusted itself more. And then all of a sudden I was able to really just let myself relax. And I knew that I could check back in in the morning. So mm -hmm. whether you do it in the morning or evening in transitions, set a timer for five minutes and just write. If you want to do it for longer, you can. But if it's overwhelming to do more than five minutes a day, maybe just start there. Yeah. And if you want to give yourself direction instead of just, I'm writing, then the thing we talked about earlier, three good things. Three good things. So how can I do three good things? I can write them down in a journal. I can say them out loud so that I remember what they were, or I can share them with someone that I love. So there's a lot of different ways we can do it. So whether you're journaling or sharing three good things, that might be a place to start. And if you want more resources, um, that's what we're going to put in show notes and, and we can have follow-up conversations about. Yeah. I love that. It's almost just like a brain dump. It's not going to anybody. Mm -hmm. Nobody else has to read it. Just like a release. Absolutely. Yeah. It's good for us. And the awareness might invite us to change. Mm. Invitation to change. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming here oh today gosh. and for this conversation. I loved it. And, you know, we've known each other a long time and uh, it's so cool to hear how you're processing this and how you are curious about it and how much your passion is for sharing it with people. And uh, it is my joy to be in conversation with you. So thank you for inviting me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Please let everybody know how they can get in contact with you or they can find you. And like you said, we will link everything in the show notes too. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, I look forward to hearing from people. No, let them know where they can find you. Right now? Oh, yeah. really? Okay, yeah. great. So um, I'm at me, Joe Town on all the socials. So at me, Joe Town on Instagram, at me, Joe Town on Twitter. And, you know, earlier you mentioned the website. So at the performer's mindset on Instagram links to, you know, a lot of the things that we offer, a lot of the things that we're thinking about. Um, and that is our website, the performer's mindset. Dot com. So if people are interested in further conversations or um, things like that, there's a podcast section. If there are more readers, there's a ton of resources on there. And we're not spammers. We're not sending people stuff every other day. And we're not asking people um, for instant polls of feedback on how we did 30 seconds ago. Um, we try to be mindful of our, our inbox uh, and your inbox. But um, you know, we do want to provide these resources for people because there's a lot of ways people can have access and do this on their own. And when and if somebody is like, now is the moment that I want support and I want to lock in and I really want to transform things, that's usually when our email dings and our phone rings. Yeah. And 
for clarity, they don't have to be an actor or an athlete to work with you. No, okay. no. In our logo, you you see um, artists. So any kind of artist we work with um, at universities, we'll work with 2D animators, we'll work with jewelry designers, we'll work with perfumers. Um, so any kind of artist and creative um, executives of all kinds, athletes and coaches. And then you'll see at the bottom where it says everyday mindset. That's the part where we're all going through the same things. We all need to transition. We could all use a little extra curiosity and um, more support around transitions. And we all have these moments we got to get switched on for. So how can we do that better together? Amazing. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This has been a 58 Ember production. For more shows, please visit the 58 Ember channel, 58ember.com, or find us at 58 Ember Media on socials.